Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It was interesting for me to see how landmines affected people in the same ways, but also in a different context entirely. And in different cultures, everyone were just struggling with them. Would you consider yourself to have a dangerous job? Is your workplace environment potentially life-threatening? For 28-year-old Laurie Durrell, that is her job. She works in the most dangerous areas in the world. That's right, she works on minefields. For years, she has done contract work in many countries doing humanitarian mine clearance. So how does one get a job like this? And what is the average workday like on a minefield? I had many questions for Laurie. And I was more than intrigued to hear her answers. This is Laurie Jarrell. What I'm doing right now is a humanitarian mine clearance, but it wasn't something I even considered at the time, right? It's, uh, it's been at least since I'm 14 or something like that that I'm interested in uh, anything that has to do with the UN and peace building and peacemaking and all of that. I had seen images, you know, of the, the white, uh, not the white, sorry, the blue helmets, and it just fascinated me. So I decided to study international politics, all of that, and then it became clear that it was really peacemaking or peace building that, that was my thing. So I, just, yeah, I studied that in my um, bachelor degree and then in my master's degree, and then it was a time to find a job, and obviously it's always tough to find your first contract. I would have taken anything, really, at the time, as long as it was humanitarian or development-related, and it just happens that the first contract I had was in Somalia. And from there, I heard about their sister organization. And that's how I met people that were working in mine action. It was closer to my interest of like working with the, the blue helmets or in disarmament. So it was like a step in the right way. It's always a bit like that, I guess, in this sector is that you start somewhere and then it will bring you uh, not exactly maybe where you want to be, but somewhere super interesting. That's what I know. I'm really actually surprised about it because I really enjoy it. And what exactly are the Blue Helmets, for those that don't know? Okay, well, it's um, the United Nations, like, sort of peace force. So it's the soldiers of the United Nation, uh, Nations. Um, so different countries will give soldiers to the UN or, you know, send them and to act as Blue Helmets for the UN. And it's really a peacemaking force. So it's they're not, they're supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to only act as somehow to like protect civilians. They'll never engage in combat themselves, only for self-protection. So that's what the main idea of it was. But then I know now that some missions, unfortunately, they have to intervene. The idea of protecting civilians, but it's uh, sometimes the, the people they have to deal with are, are just too violent. So they have to, to react a bit more as well, which is a shame. So what is it like on that first day being on a minefield? Just to clarify, so I am not sadly trained um, as um, someone that can actually disactivate or touch a landmine. You know, I wouldn't be the one. I would be the one behind that person that would like write the reports, take the pictures, um, talk about to communities about the impact that landmines have on, on their lives and and things like that. Because you have to be trained very technically. You know, it's a very it's a, often it's ex-military people that will be trained uh, in the military that will then convert to the humanitarian sector and are able to deal with all those explosives and 
and how to approach them. But still, um, the first time I think I walked in a minefield was a quite, it was just unreal. I couldn't, I think there was a lot of, not naivety, but I was just, I couldn't believe it, right? that it was, that the danger was around me, let's say. The good thing is I really trusted um, the people I was working with at the time. Um, I do believe that this organization is excellent in actual demining. So I, if they said just walk straight, I would walk straight and I would listen to them and I wouldn't doubt that it was safe. Uh, which really helped, and it was like a lot of experienced people as well with me. You know, you have your helmet and your, they call it PPE, like um, whatever to protect your organs if something is going to explode. But it was just, it was just unreal. I didn't realize. I think it's those things I realized months after, uh, months after it happened. I was like, oh, I can't believe I was in a minefield, for example. And then, I don't think you get used to it. It was unreal. I, I just kept thinking, oh my God, I've studied so long for this. And I'm here in the middle of Somalia where no one is really, you know, it's not your everyday touristic destination. And there was the satisfaction also is to know that there's a direct impact to that work uh, because once the landmine is gone, it's really gone, you know. Um, so the, the next day, and sometimes when we're done with minefields, uh, with minefield clearance, the next day the community wants to move back into the land and use it to farm or whatnot. Uh, so that, that was extremely satisfying, yeah. So what is it that you tell locals that are living in the areas near these minefields? Well, first of all, it's always to create, I think, good relationship with them because at the end of the day, it's for them. We have to remember ourselves that it's, it's a fascinating job for us, but it's for them that we work. So I guess the first thing, especially in societies that maybe are a bit more conservative or you know they've lived a lot of things and maybe like another foreigner is maybe not what they want to see right now. So it's first of all to just create that trust. Uh, so co- we call it community liaison. So we would send whoever is the best person to do it um, to meet the community. Often it would be like in Somalia, it would be like uh, elders that those people would represent the community. They would talk with the, our staff and uh, agree on, on saying, yes, we do need help. Or and here's where we think it's the landmines are and how can you help us and start that conversation. Once that conversation is started, then you have to do the survey. Uh, so where really are the landmines and then it's like a lot it's like you have those huge maps and you know they're trying to be as um, precise as possible to, to tell you where they remember that you know some explosions happened in the past so that's not really what i was doing but those were the more of the technical aspect of it what i would do myself it would be more about all of what is survey and um awareness raising for children or, or adults that would would uh, you know so we would reach out to like uh, schools refugee camps and all of that to to just like we call it mine risk education to say, look, this is what a, a mine normally look like. A mine, right? <laughs> normally look like, and this is what you. Sh- this is a behavior you should have if you're confronted to to one. You know, so it's like, don't touch. Tell someone. Call us. And it's really to try to be as um, culturally appropriate as possible, so that you know they can really understand uh, where we're coming from and and see that we're really there to help. And then also, what we did with communities was um, pre and post clearance surveys to try to monitor the impact. So before before the, um, the clearance, were you able to go to your school, uh, you know, in a, like in, a, in an hour walk or two hours walk because you were trying to go around the minefield? And, uh, and now that it's cleared, is it only 20 minutes to go to that same school? And, you know, try to see, is it better access? Do you, are, do you have more land to use? And, you know, all, all, all of that stuff. So that was, uh, for me, that was the most interesting because it was the human side of it. I was less interested in like exploding everything, which is, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating. I understand why some are love to do that. And, and that's the purpose of the job. But for me, it was the human contact and the, you know, to talk to the beneficiaries and understand their, what's a priority to them. And what's the difference between, for example, 
men and women they have different relationship uh, to the to the risk maybe men will be uh, having to walk around with goats and stuff like that you know to to hurt um, or the, their camels while women would have take another path to go get some water so you have to understand all those those difference um, differences um, to see how we can help the most vulnerable first I know this may seem like a very broad question but why are there landmines in these areas why have they been put there Sorry, I know this is a very broad question. No, no, it's, it's fine. I mean, for me, to be honest, I had studied conflict all my life and somehow landmines didn't come up in my studies at all. So, oh, good wow. question. Um, I think it's just at the time it was... Uh, landmines are associated to like, um, like a conventional warfare, right? So normally, initially, back in the day, like, a, you know, decades ago, it would have been probably just to like protect your borders. So, for example, between um, Somaliland and Ethiopia or Somalia and Ethiopia, there was all of the borders had been mined uh, following a, a war between the two countries. So it's just basic, it's just putting like a wall, basically, to say you can't cross. Uh, so they have um, anti-tank mines, you know, uh, or um, or anti-personal mines. So yeah, so that was, I think, the main reason for it initially. But then, obviously, conflict evolved, and it turned into more civil wars and urban fighting and you know, within the country, people would fight, you know, different, like, ethnicity or different religions or whatever. And and then that's when it became more tricky even for us because it wouldn't be the army laying those mines anymore. It would be different militias that wouldn't map where they put their mines all the time, obviously. And that was a new challenge for us. But we adjusted well, I think, over the years. Uh, and now there's a new thing again, and that's really what the, the entire sector is struggling with, is that it's People are now starting to mine urban centers. So, for example, um, the um, ISIS in Syria would have mined apartments, um, streets, and like you know, in downtown like areas. And that's what's entirely new to us because it's not conventional landmines; it's improvised devices. And that's just another world to explore and to, to you know to have to deal with. So, why there's landmines is just because there's fighting, and as long as people will fight. They'll try to protect themselves or prevent someone from coming their way. And have you witnessed a landmine go off? Uh, yes, but a controlled explosion, which is how you want it to be. Um, so it's, for example, um, I think in Somalia, I didn't... Oh, no, I saw one in Somalia. I could have seen much more, but um, I was not in the field as often as a, as an actual deminer. So I, in, where was it? In Nagorno-Karabakh and in Somalia, yeah, I, we saw some. So let's say during the day of the mining, one of the deminers uh, finds a landmine. Then they won't touch it. They won't explode it right away. They'll flag it. You know, we need to make sure that the perimeter is entirely, you know, there's no one, no animals, nothing that could be hurt. And then at the end of the day, they'll explode it. So everyone would be up the mountains, let's say, and look down and, and you, know, you have the, uh, the intentional detonation. And then, yeah, it, it is impressive, especially the first time because you wait for it and then you know it's going to happen and it's uh, it's huge. It's, uh, and that just, I couldn't believe that someone might have been stepping on that. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, the violence of it is unreal. And the tragedy, I think, is that there's, you have like anti-personal landmines and in theory, they're not made to kill, they're made to injure you. An adult would probably survive such explosion, but if it's an anti-tank mine, then it will destroy even a Land Rover or, or a tank. You know, it will entirely wreck it and, and kill people that are in it. So those, those explosions are, are just uh, unreal. What kind of travel opportunities have you been given because of this type of work? 
Oh, I've been really lucky with my previous employer. Really, uh, I really appreciated them for that because I started in Somalia, which to me, just I never thought I would actually go there. Even within Somalia, I traveled a lot. And then once I was done with that, um, with that contract, uh, they made me move from a country to another. And that was a huge privilege because I saw them Kosovo, Nagorno-Karabakh, Sri Lanka, my missing one, and Angola. That was absolutely wonderful. So it was interesting for me to see how landmines affected people in the same ways, but also in a different context entirely. And in different cultures, everyone were just struggling with them regardless. And um, But it's just a different way to deal with it um, from you know from a context to another or to a conflict to another is, was super interesting for me. So yeah, in terms of um, traveling, Anyone working, I think, in the humanitarian or development world will, will be lucky that they'll see a lot. And countries that you don't go to, like, uh, on holidays. Countries that, you know, you have to have a reason to visit. So, yeah, it's been a, I've been lucky, though, because I've seen a lot in a few years. I thought I would see this much in 10 years, maybe, but I was really lucky with my previous uh, employer that they just gave me that opportunity. I've worked hard for this because there's a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. But when I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just happy that I've got to do this. Yeah, it's uh, an experience... It's, it's the, that sort of experience that will actually change your life. Like you will remember it all the, all your life, and it, it affected like it changed my you know my my even my my way to go about life truly. Because once you lived in Somalia, like to me, it really it went to the core of me and <laughs> changed a few things within. I guess. So, what are you doing with yourself now that your recent contract has finished? All right. So yeah. So I've um, I've decided to to leave this previous organization just because I had done a lot with them and I felt I. I could see maybe what next I could be doing. And I've been lucky, super lucky. I'm actually starting a contract next week, actually next Monday. Oh, wow. With another organization that does the same, um, a French organization that does the same. I was afraid that I would be leaving the mine action sectors too soon, you know, by leaving this previous organization. Mm-hmm. But turns out, yeah, I found this contract with this new one. And I really, they have a good reputation. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to work with them. And I think it's a step forward in the, the right direction for me because... Not only do they do mine action, but there's mine action is part of a humanitarian uh, organization. So it will be linked with uh, assistance to refugees, um, you know, all of those other things that humanitarian people deal with. So it's a bit more holistic for me, and a bit more towards what I what I want to do. And also, it, it brings me also to 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 work in the prevention of the risk of having uh, small arms and light weapons. So it's not only landmines, but it's also now guns and, and things like that. So again, more towards the human side of it than just reduction of armed violence in general. It really is incredible what you're doing and you are impacting so many lives and not only helping each individual, you're helping societies economically and socially. It really is incredible what you are doing. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I know when I go back, let's say back to home in Canada, and I talk to my friends from high school, for example, mm-hmm. uh, we have such different lives. But uh, for me, I compare myself to other colleagues or friends now that, that are doing the same. So I don't realize the difference. For us, it's a bit of normality. Yeah. Like, I have friends in Ukraine doing the same, in Colombia doing the same, in Angola. So we talk together and it's a very close community and uh, you know people support each other especially i think women together were supporting ourselves a lot and um so yeah it seems to me like it's actually getting more normal but i, I i'm still loving it so much that was laurie durrell speaking about her work doing humanitarian mine clearance thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the nasty woman club make sure you hit subscribe or follow on wherever you get your podcasts 
This episode was produced and hosted by myself, Demi Lynch. The Nasty Woman Club is a show dedicated to inspiring women telling their inspiring stories 